welcome to another wonderful, magical, fantastical episode of Normandy FM Dragon Age Edition. As always, I am one of your co-hosts, Eric Van Allen, alongside my co-host, Kenneth Shepard. Ken, how you doing? Uh, and specifically in regards to this show, or just generally? I mean, just in general. I feel like it's been ages since I've seen you, man. It's yeah, been whole years. 20, no, like, I guess like 30 hours at this point? Something like that. I saw I saw this man about, th- yeah, 30 hours ago would have been when I dropped you off at the airport. So yeah. for those of you who did not listen last week or who did not uh, head out to San Antonio, uh, Ken and I uh, were both down at PAX South this last weekend. A uh, huge thank you to everyone who came out or who uh, supported on Twitter. Uh, we did a panel where we ranked the Mass Effect companions and as i had hoped and longed for it was an absolute riot it was fantastic uh people were up in there (laughs) people were hooting and hollering in the crowd tensions were heated uh lines were drawn in the sand and ken had props uh a whole (laughs) a whole monologue written really to Mm -hmm. uh to really bring across the point and i really Ken, it was still ineffectual. Caden still fell pretty far down that list. <laughs> well, you know, that's what happens when everyone's a bunch of space racist apologists. Apparently, apparently every... Well, I don't see why you keep bringing it back to Ashley, though. Well, because we had, Ashley... several, we had several people come up, both like at the very end of the panel and like later, that were like, oh, Caden and Ashley are no... Or, like, Caden's no better than Ashley. And I was like, miss me with oh, okay. that bullshit. Okay. Well, for those people, I don't care. And also, it, but... like, everything that I said in my... Uh, my, my monologue is still true, and nobody cared to listen to, so, you know. <laughs> you you may yet shit. have another chance. You may yet have another chance. I mean, do you have a chance every week here on this podcast to change minds and change hearts? I mean, we're not talking about Mass Effect anymore, but, you know, you can just keep saying it if you want to <laughs> into the mic until you will it into the world. Uh yeah, it was it was a good time. Uh, if you were not able to attend, uh, we didn't get a super clean, highly polished recording. We got a bootleg cell phone recording that was set on the table in front of Ken, uh, because I totally think before I do things. And uh, so we have that up on the Spotify feed uh, and, and all the other audio feeds, wherever you may uh, consume this podcast. You know, it's go into it it is the quality is what it is Uh, i actually think it reflects the experience a little bit because you get a sense of just how loud and riotous it was in there it was a good time Uh, everyone got really into it so even though you're all a bunch of traitors like i had a blast doing that panel i yeah you and i both had people come up to us throughout the weekend just telling us how much fun it was it was one of their favorite panels they really Mm -hmm. enjoyed it they kept calling you um what what was they called you the Friend uh, I, of Caden? Yeah, I had a, a guy at a at my hotel elevator, and he, he was just like, hello, friend of Caden. And I was like, hello? It was, it was great. Uh, it, it, it was a great uh, panel to do. Hopefully we get to do it again in the future. I've already talked uh, with some people about doing similar things in the future. They may not be Bioware-related. Uh, we don't want to pigeonhole ourselves too much, but I think there's... A lot of potential for us to rank some things in the future. I think there's some, uh, Ken. I think there's some students in need of ranking. Mm. I think 
Mm. I think we need to find the best boy and the best girl. I think would, that's would our these next be objective. some uh, supernatural fighting students, or would these be uh, mystery solving students? Wait, I thought I thought the the I, I thought the first thing you said was persona. What was what was the first thing you meant? Persona. Or, or oh, you meant Persona Four and Persona Five? No, I meant Persona and Danganronpa. Oh wait, miss you would describe Danganronpa as mystery solving? <laughs> you mean the murder mystery series? Yeah, well, probably. It, 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 I, I don't know. That's like calling the Hunger Games uh, a fighting game. I don't know. <laughs> like that's, that's maybe what do you think toning you do it down in those a games, Eric? What do you do in those games? I mean, you, you conduct you a trial. Murders. But I don't know. I wouldn't like. I wouldn't call. I wouldn't necessarily call Phoenix Wright a detective game. I don't think you don't play a detective. You play an attorney. And yeah, but this is Danganronpa, where you play kids investigating. I I don't know. That feels feels like a misnomer. I don't know. I have no idea what else you would call it. That's uh, I'm gonna think on this. I'm gonna think on this. I'll get back to you. But calling it a, a, a kids solving mysteries that's like putting it on the scooby-doo tier you know what i'm saying (laughs) uh you need to be like uh kids participating in murder games there that's the one that's the one i was talking about fire emblem though that was the one i was talking about i am immediately less interested wait you want to talk about the three houses and the secret fourth basement house i like exactly one character in those games that's not true at all. But that, I'm, yeah, invest- gonna... I'm invested in only one of the one character in that game. I think you picked the wrong out. Wait, no, you picked Golden Deer, didn't you? I did. Okay, you picked the right house. What are you doing? I don't know. Everyone else does. You don't love Hilda? Other. Not really. Hilda's the. Look at everybody. Have, have you done her social? Have you tried? Have you done her social links? Yeah, she's just trying to bum her work off on everybody else. Have you finished her social links? Uh, don't remember. Maybe. Yeah, but it sounds like you haven't. Because that's okay. We have learned that Ken has not played enough Three Houses yet. That's what we've learned right now. If you can't tell, we're delaying talking about Dragon Age because, once again, uh, we regret to inform you that Dragon Age Origins uh, can drag at times. Sure. Uh, Dragging those Origins along. Uh, no. <laughs> um, so this week we're talking about Ostagar and Lothering and... I think this first part is pretty interesting in the scheme of things. It's just maybe not paced well. Um, so where we left off, I mean, last week was kind of a weird way to start because we had to do this sort of scattershot approach to be like, okay, here are all the ways that this game could have theoretically started. And here's all the origins that theoretically exist. Uh, but from here on out, Ken and I are really only going to be able to speak to the specific origins that we played, which Ken played a mage from the tower, uh, the circle, and I played a city elf from the, uh, oh, I keep forgetting what the name of it is. The, uh, no, 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 not, oh, not the, the city. The alienage, thank you. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can't wait to call it the orphanage, and I was like, that's not quite right, but that's... <laughs> Halfway there. Half of that uh, word is right. <laughs> so uh when we roll up into Osigar, uh things already kind of seem a little off uh so we we walk in with duncan and we're immediately greeted by king kalen who is just the most happy-go-lucky this dude is totally gonna get owned later like he is 
bright and shiny and he thinks that everything's going to go great he's going to get to be a war hero and he's going to kill lots of dark spawn and i almost feel like this dude is just set up to be a punchline you know like he's like he a is... happy puppy ready to go out to war yeah he's like a puppy that enjoys killing people and he's a mabari yeah no i'm a barrier smarter uh oh, it's... <laughs> i don't know uh this is one of the the parts of the game that i started to find interesting because uh if you play as an elf you start to get a lot of really specific dialogue choices that you can start to employ here mm -hmm. so you can just straight up be like i don't trust humans like i think humans are all pieces of shit <laughs> like yeah. right out the gate uh i did not do that i've basically been trying to play like a very cordial rogue right. like a charmer a little bit but i'm almost trying to play my cannon hawk but uh not really enjoying that i i tried it at first and by the end of this whole section that we were playing i'm playing more of just like the uh the doe-eyed naive mm. dude who's just totally in over his head it's just like i'm just going to try and get through this alive <laughs> good good luck to me um but as as we move in uh so we have the human forces have assembled to try and help the gray wardens stop the blight uh i i, I honestly when i was thinking about this earlier i don't remember we talked much about what the actual like the blight is um Not i know we talked either. about an arch demon i know we talked about the dark spawn but we should probably spend a little bit of time in the lore corner this week yeah. uh specifically talking about what all of this entails because the gray wardens are very very much like involved in this entire cycle in this entire uh process so um ken i i will bounce it over to you to correct anything i say that is wrong but okay. uh <laughs> uh the blight is something that happens every now and then when uh they're always dark spawn in uh I almost said Lothering, and Thetis. And they are always hanging out down in the deep roads, causing havoc, messing around with dwarves. Uh, and their blood is largely uh, poisonous to mm -hmm. uh, humans. Right. And by the way, fun fact for those at home, poisonous is uh, something that you ingest and it causes problems, whereas venomous is something that gets injected into you fun fact difference snakes are venomous not poisonous <laughs> you won't get sick from eating it well i mean if it's a poisonous snake you'll get sick from eating the snake but don't eat a snake there you go don't Bone eat salt. snakes <laughs> but now you know the difference between poisonous and venomous uh anyways so the blood is bad for humans and you actually learn this pretty early on by running into if you were not a human noble uh running into a mabari warhound trainer who has a dog that was uh like basically coated in darkspawn blood and they say it has the taint and that's kind of the hilarious name that they use for when something has basically been afflicted by whatever is in the darkspawn and it will eventually kill them uh so the darkspawn are always kind of around but they kind of hang out in their own little caverns and stuff but when a blight happens that's when an archdemon who is basically a dragon uh rises up and decides to start leading the darkspawn to go on a base basically like ferelden wide campaign of destruction they want to destroy everything mm -hmm. uh, we don't really 
at this point have a reason for why they would want to do that um other than that they're evil i honestly at this point cannot say if i even remember why the archdemon and the darkspawn want to do this other than they're evil um well we're gonna talk to somebody a little bit about who, who can give us some hints who can give us some ideas but even then they may not be a fully trustworthy source mm -hmm. um so as we walk into the camp we start meeting all these different did i get all right by the way ken yeah you're good so far. sweet i'm doing great i'm 100 for 100 right now uh as we walk through the camp, we meet a bunch of the different people that are here. Uh, you can find some mages who are there from the circle, who are kind of preparing some spells. Uh, you get introduced to the Chantry, to Templars. I mean, really, you just kind of get the smorgasbord of who all the characters are, that like, like all the factions are mm -hmm. that you will be dealing with, at least in terms of humans. Um, and... <laughs> I like that it opens up with so you're you're supposed to start to get things together to take your um you're, you're supposed to get things together to take your initiation into the gray wardens and you can meet two of the other gray warden candidates here uh one is like a cut purse from a local town mm. and the other is a knight with a wife and a kid who's very much like oh something bad is going to happen to this dude <laughs> uh he's totally like a little bit he, he's kind of like king caitlin and that he has right. like very idealistic ideas of what's going to happen that they're just going to go into battle they're going to fight some dark spawn it's going to be all hunky dory and he's going to go back he's going to be a war hero it's going to be great uh and even when you're playing this game very early on especially if you've played the origin uh most origins kind of set the tone that things do not go as planned and so you're already going like oh this guy's going to die <laughs> uh but we also get to be some characters so we before we meet one more uh gray warden let's talk about the first person i talked to in camp which was logan mm. i passed a persuasion check to talk to logan um and that was kind of an interesting little moment because here we have this character who if you've played dragon age origins before you already know uh is a very central character kind of plays a secondary antagonist role throughout the plot uh at this point if you're playing it for the first time you don't know why yet but you will soon find out um but he's he's almost immediately introduced as this kind of mix between like, I always liken him to Arthas. Have you played Warcraft, Ken? Like, any of the Warcrafts? Okay. Nope. Uh, it, he's like Arthas after he pulls Frostborn out of the ice. Like, basically this paladin that's like a dark paladin, like a fallen paladin. Um, he's, he's got like a bit of a Grima worm tongue look to him. Uh, I just used the Lord of the Rings reference, which, again, Ken, I'm pretty sure you're not familiar with either. I'm just going to keep... follow them. See, this is great because I'm just going to keep throwing fantasy references at you and you're not going to have any context for them. It's going to be That's great. Fine. It's fine. <laughs> uh, but I thought Logan was an interesting character because the more you talk to him, the more you realize, the more I realize that kind of using my normal like, oh, I'm just a simple guy that's here to, to be around doesn't really work on him mm -hmm. like it does on Kalen or on other characters. Right. And so I started to play a bit more of a knowing character who was like, 
yeah, no, I'm I'm here to not get killed. I'm not a moron and stuff like that. And and he kind of like respected that a little bit. And so I was like, okay, Logan's got a bit more of an idea of what's going on. Um, did you do the check or anything to talk to Logan? Well, I'm a, a bit now that I didn't, I did not find him. And now that you're saying that, I don't think that I ever have. Like, I don't think that I ever even realized that you could talk to Logan here until now. Yeah, it's it's right as you walk in. There's like a tent as you walk across the bridge and there's a dude standing guard outside he'll basically tell you i'm here guarding logan's tent and then you just pass a persuasion check to convince him that you're like a messenger or somebody important uh from the king and you can Mm -hmm. like have a quick it's it's not a long exchange but it's like a short exchange with him right um that's that's more interesting in the context of like it it almost feels like it's there for somebody to play on their second time through and and get more context out of than they would on their first time right um the character that we both did talk to, who will also be joining the team much later on, is, uh, I say also as if we're making that choice about a different character, but uh, someone who will be joining the team much later on is Wynn, uh, who I will go ahead and say is basically an always include in my team when I play okay. this game, uh, mostly because she is kind of the only healer in this game. Uh, yeah. If I, I mean, I think you can. I mean, you can be yourself. More, yeah, you can Morgan, be a healer, and I think Morrigan can possibly get you have some to, like, healing. You have to kind of like untrain her from a different specialization to make it yeah. work. Like you have to basically break the way that she's handed to you, like the build that she's handed to you with, to make that happen. Yeah, it's it's not very intuitive. So basically, if you aren't, if you yourself are not playing. A healer type character then you need win on your team to be that character uh which even if you're playing on the lower difficulty modes uh quickly becomes very very important so win basically becomes an instant lock when we get her we won't be getting her until much later but we do get to talk to her now um and she is here from the uh from the circle and ken i want you to talk a bit about this since you came from the circles you're gonna have a bit more Um, some interesting dialogue than i do well there was like that they do establish fairly early on that you have never met when like she is not a person that you've ever come into contact with but she does know you like i guess by reputation because i mean wherever she is wherever she exists when the circle she seems to be at least of some sort of like high status not necessarily like um like the first enchanter or anything but like she seems to be at least, like, well-respected enough to know people as they are coming up, like, through their apprenticeship. Like, she congratulates you on your harrowing uh, Mm, at some point. Um, You get a lot of... The main thing that happens with her conversation, at least when I was playing it, was that she talks about, like, Darkspawn and their origin and, like, the... Or, let me rephrase it, like, their perceived origin. Like, what is, like, most commonly known amongst... Okay, like, the, the Chantry... And like the people, the places, people in places that uh, follow that, um, and it's 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 a weird thing because like you can kind of start to question her on these things, but she seems to be somewhat devout, so she doesn't entertain any of the possibilities, which is something that happens kind of throughout, not even just through origins, but, like it's a kind of a recurring Dragon Age thing, and it, it was weird because like I kind of had forgotten how interconnected some things in this universe were and i don't think that mm-hmm. like any, it's one of those things that i don't think origins really you know leans into that much or like really takes advantage of but like she's talking about how like 
the place the dark spawns came from was in it, okay lore corner time. Uh, they have hmm. this. They have this tale of the Golden City, which is like this. It's basically heaven, and it exists within the Fade, which again, to like remind everybody, is like the spirit world that the like mages have to go into to complete their harrowing, which is their test, etc. It's um, it, and just for me to interject, like when I asked her what the Fade was as a non-magic user, she was basically like, uh, "Think about where you go when you go to sleep." Or mm-hmm. when you like meditate or whatever, basically it's just kind of the astral plane, right? And it's like, and like on that note as well, I, I assume that if you were to come through through this conversation as a dwarf, you would get something different because the dwarves are technically cut off from the fae. They don't dream. They don't like. They can't have magic. It's a whole other thing. Um, and so the idea of where the dark one came from was that people tell, or at least people in the chantry areas tell that mages from a place called Taventer basically came in there and like infiltrated and raided the place which is where God or the maker as they call them uh, originally lived and then after they kind of desecrated that city it became known as the black city and the taint took a hold of them and then it made them into the first dark spawn at least that is how the chantry tells the story so mm. Might a, be a different way that it's told over into Venter. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's... It's one of those things where... Like we talked about before, like... A lot of Origins, it does not seem like it... does not seem like it was made, you know, with a future in mind. Because, as we said before, there wasn't a future in mind. But just, like, put a pen in that. And, like, we'll, we'll, we'll revisit that maybe in a game or two. Yeah, I was going to say, we might not be coming back to that until Inquisition. But... That's some uh, some high lore, some high fantasy for you. And, I mean, again, we've we talked about this even while you and I were hanging out over the weekend, but this idea that Dragon Age Origins was never really intended to set up a franchise. It was not intended to have a sequel. Uh, it was just going to be this thing. Uh, I feel like this stuff... I mean, there's there's a lot in this game where it feels like they start to go, okay, well later on in games in future dragon age games they go well maybe we need to rewrite this a little bit maybe we need to reconsider this a little bit uh and this is maybe one of those things i don't know i actually i don't have a ton of memory about this specific lore but uh you know without getting too ahead because i i know that like if the intent of the show is for people to play it like a long play and i don't want to like spoil stuff it's not that this particular thing this becomes disputed later on, basically. Right, you you right, learn basically. that there are multiple sides to the story and that there may not be truth to all of them or any of them. Right. Uh, it's mythology. It's, we're learning mythology here. Yeah. But it is, I mean, it is interesting, at least retrospectively, to realize that they had all this lore that they basically planned to, like, just never do anything with at some point. Yeah. Like, there was a point where this whole story about where like the origins of the dark spawn which doesn't really matter in like at least in the span of origins you know they took that and ran with it i guess because like eh, dragon age 2 dragon age Inquisition, we'll get to it yeah i'm i'm interested to look deeper into this stuff uh i think the other interesting thing to take away with it before we move on to other characters is that they the mages and the chantry and everything kind of dabble in the fade but they still have 
very little knowledge of what it actually is like there is not a lot of let's say scientific pursuit into the fade um even the mages met so far kind of just playing they viewed it as a very very dangerous thing that everyone kind of like acknowledges a sort of like need for when it comes to things like magic but also is you know like they won't let people be in the fade for so long or they're gonna like oh you're gonna be captured by a demon and so then they kill them and that's how the heroine works Mm -hmm. out it's like we'll go deeper one day well we also meet a um oh lord i just forgot the name of it the mages that they sever or they control the the connection yeah we meet we meet a tranquil here as well uh who kind of explains that aspect of things to us if we were not at the circle prior and they kind of go over what enchantments are and that's kind of an interesting conversation in and of itself it's kind of like i mean as we talk about this ostagar as itself is pretty much like giving you a bridge version of what the origins give you if yes, you play through all of yeah. them so it's kind of like okay you came from one very specific area of the universe here's sort of like a little taste of everything else yeah it gives you the high concepts that you would get from other areas so like you might learn a little bit more about elf characters here if you're not an elf yourself or something like that. Right. <laughs> elf yourself. Uh-huh. Um, we also mean a Mabari. We talked about the Mabari Warhound Trainer. Um, we've got a Mabari that's a little sick. Uh, we can start to begin the healing process here, and that's a quest that we will complete later on. Uh, once we have begun the journey, that will get us through our Grey Warden initiation. Uh, but basically, this is the Mabari that eventually becomes our Mabari Warhound companion, uh, who is very good. One of my one of my favorites. Mm. Uh, not really that useful in combat at all, but uh, especially if you're playing a character who's trying to run it solo or whatever. I think there's. I mean, I think can you send the Mabari away? I don't know if you can. I think it just has to die. Like I think. I think at some point you can be like, oh, I don't want you, or something like that. Yeah, or you can like give it away to somebody and give it a new master or something like that. But basically, by starting the healing process, you are imprinting yourself upon the Mabari, which is, as as the the Warhound Master kind of tells you, uh, the Mabari are extremely intel- intelligent dogs. Uh, they can remember specific commands. They kind of follow their master instinctively, they're very useful in war not just because they are massive and full of teeth but they are just also very smart um and having a mabari imprinted to you means that you are its master and that's like a very deep bond and it's also very difficult to re-imprint a mabari once its original owner has died which is what has happened with this specific mabari so uh it's a cool little lore thing i feel like again later on in the series mavari kind of disappear for the most part um, yeah i mean like hawk has one and two but it's not a companion it's like a an ability almost a, yeah like just that you can yeah but i mean it, inquisition i don't really remember many of them or at least none <laughs> that like were super like that were like super they were important. ambient creatures but they weren't yeah. really like part of the story or even your your party i mean the, to be fair it's not like this one is a deep character that has dialogue or anything it's just a, a dog that you can pet uh, dragon age origins you can pet the dog mm-hmm. but besides that um it's just kind of there but then we finally meet alistair who's kind of the 
I guess you would say one of the other like major there there are three characters who I think are the main characters of this game. I, I don't think it's just a solo protagonist show. I think there are like maybe one major main character and then two kind of deuteragonists. I think that's how you say that word. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the like backup main characters who are kind of you know the same way that in uh, Mass Effect you had Shepard who was the main character, but then you also had kind of Ashley and Caden and then Liara. Uh, here you have the Grey Warden, and then Alistair, and then a character we're going to meet later. Uh, and Alistair is more interesting than I remember him being. Let me put yeah. it that way. I kind of always remembered him being just that guy. I, I don't know. I just always thought of him as like the tank dude who was like, oh, I, I don't know. Things are hard. You make decisions for me. And he's kind of like that here, too. But... He's got a real Aragorn vibe to him, which will come to fruition a little bit later on, where he's just this guy that wants to just kind of do his job and not think about the larger things in the world, not worry about the larger politics. Mm. But as as events transpire, he is kind of thrust into the role a little bit, and he has to do it for the good of the world. Yeah. Um, he's also, like, one of the first examples of, like, the really sort of, like, charismatic kind of like a little cheesy sometimes but like the, the the funny class clown kind of character yes. that dra- yeah. every dragon age has and like he like the first thing he says to you after he like he's been kind of like pestering this mage about something uh he says you know the first thing or the one good thing about the blight is how it brings people together and you know and a lot of people will probably think that's oh that's not a funny thing to say because the blight is usually the thing that kills hundreds of thousands of people but I was like, oh, you and I, we are best friends now, right? <laughs> he's he's cheeky. He's cheeky. Um, and of course, he, you know, he... The other interesting aspect of this character is that he was once a Templar. Um, he is a former Templar who's not necessarily totally aligned with the Templar cause. Um, makes him a really interesting character, I think, in that right. you kind of... It's it's like he almost gets to the point where he provides the reasonable uh, magic is bad character point of view because for the most part, you know, he's afraid of magic, but he's not like trying to stab it with a sword. He's mostly just trying to not mess around with it or cause it to do anything bad. Um, he'd rather just stay completely out of its path, which I think you know, is a perfectly fine thing. If if you don't want to be fooling around with fade demons, then don't get involved with fade demons. That's that's pretty straightforward um but he he i think he grows a lot as a character i'm already mm-hmm. seeing that in my playthrough in the section that we've played and yeah. i think I, he becomes a very interesting character over the course of the game and i think he's one of the like not just not just get like too far ahead but i feel like he's also interesting in the ways in which that his story can go and yes but also i feel like that sort of the various paths that he can go is meant that he does not get a lot of screen time in the next few games, and that kind of sucks because he is a very pivotal character, like at the very beginning of the series, and you just he because I guess they wrote themselves into that corner. He's not quite the main, like the major player of other characters that are in this game. Yeah, it's um. He, it, it is kind of weird again it, it reflects how this game sits in the series that he doesn't go on to play a larger role and really 
I mean, I'd say that most of these characters don't until Inquisition. Um, I think you could make an argument for a couple in Dragon Age 2, but for the most part, Dragon Age 2 is very removed from Origins uh, by design. And you really, like, there are a handful of characters that make, you know, like, cameo brief appearances, but for the most part, um, they really just do it to show off the glow up, you know? They got floss a little bit. It's a whole, like, not to, like, totally derail us, but I always knew coming into one of, we were going to do the series, I knew what my problems were with Dragon Age as a franchise, like, in ways that I had, like, very particular things that, like, are sort of like the soapboxes I get on about Mass Effect. Like, the one that I get on probably most of anything in all Dragon Age is its relationship to continuity and sort of, like, not canon per se, but just, like, acknowledging a world state that the player leaves it in and how I think it just, in multiple scenarios, has just fallen flat on its face when it comes to that. But it's kind of, like, not to excuse it per se, but, like, now that we understand and have that context and, like, playing through it all, it is interesting to see the ways in which they tried to maintain something and just absolutely just, like drop things where they lied otherwise uh again we're we're jumping literally like multiple games ahead we don't need to get all the way into our thoughts about this because we have plenty of weeks ahead to do that but um i will say i agree with you at this moment however there are things that happen uh later on especially in inquisition uh like the mid game of inquisition even where it takes some pretty surprising leaps of like choice that happen and 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 like letting you kind of affect a potential world state i think that if anything dragon age is sometimes too ambitious for its own good and that kind of like ends up biting it in later games because it puts a lot of these world states out there that could be all these different variables and then it has to find some way to like wrangle them all together into something that can be somewhat cohesive or at least have choice be meaningfully affected later on in games i think if you look at it from like a narrative standpoint just the the idea that there are so many hooks that can start to play out we talked about mass effect how many choices there were in mass effect that that play out or don't play out but um you look at like the meaningful choices that can take place in mass effect one that carry forward versus the ones that can carry forward in dragon age origins and i think it's pretty surprising and and that's even coming from me saying, like, you can tell that this game is not meant it, meant to be a sequel. But uh, there are things that can happen here that are pretty interesting. And I I think the one thing I know I'm going to do before we start Inquisition, probably, is go and take a look back at the Keep, which mm-hmm. is the, the tool that they released before Inquisition came out that kind of let you um, either import saves because at this point like dragon age origins and dragon age 2 were on previous gen consoles and people were trying to port their save data forward onto new consoles or or across families of consoles or things like that or also just you know if they couldn't do that maybe they wanted there was a choice they wanted to change or something they could artificially create or fix quote unquote their playthroughs uh using this tool that basically let you do multiple choice quiz like here is everything you did and it had varying levels of intensity as well from like the highest level of decisions to, like very minor decisions mm. so uh i'm interested to go back to that because i've always thought that it's this is a relatively ambitious series i mean really in this in the scope of things bioware games both mass effect and dragon age are extremely ambitious in the ways that they have narrative hooks that have to carry through game over game 
and the way that they carry forward. I mean, there we've talked about it before, but there aren't many games that do that mm. between full game installments. Right. The way that Bioware does this. Uh, the only recent one I can think of that even attempted to have a thing that did this was Life is Strange to Life is Strange Two. Having and even that decision... was like, you know, very like very binary and like it was I would yes the world was this way or the world was that way. Yeah, and it, yeah, it's so minor by comparison, and you do have things that carry over episode to episode, uh, to the point that like episode five had a lot of really interesting ways that those hooked right. in from what I've heard. Um, but you look at game over game, just the amount that is carrying over is both impressive and like daunting in a way that makes me feel really bad for those writers trying to make Dragon Age 4 right now. (laughs) Um, anyways, Alistair is great. Uh, he's interesting. Uh, once we finally get everyone rounded up, Duncan tells us we got to go into the wilds and get some dark spawn blood. You know, that thing we've been hearing about how bad it is. Extremely normal thing. That thing that nobody wants to touch. And also we need to get some treaties from some ruins. Uh, and I feel, I feel like this is almost a sign that Duncan is maybe a little bit aware of how bad things might go. Yeah. If, if Ostagard is not successful, because the fact that he has you seek out these treaties, which in theory it would be unnecessary if they stopped the blight uh right. at this battle but he wants to be prepared and he even goes to the there part of me likes to believe that in this section there's a lot of duncan kind of hedging his bets a little mm-hmm. bit um being aware that things yeah. could go wrong maybe just having an inkling uh and <laughs> we we also get to talk to the other two recruits um Mr. Cutpurse is basically just in it, whatever. He's like, you know, my life sucked before. Can't get much worse as a great warden, am I right? Um, and then good old starry-eyed knight is all like, oh, I'm, I'm going to go home to my family after this is all done. I've got a girl back home. with She's pregnant and she's with child. And we're going to have a lovely little nuclear family and we're gonna live our wonderful days and you know she wants to move here but i want to move here so it's a whole thing and i'm like dude to have such simple simple there's freaking demon orcs banging down our doors right now and you're talking about like which city you want to live in (laughs) like dang um he also says his skill is is what appealed to well so the the cuppers had had his skill but the knight also says that his skills in combat were obvious uh, I think he got his thing from a tournament, and let me just say that I I was largely unimpressed by this night, uh, to the point that part of me wondered if the whole thing with having a tournament and all that, this dude doesn't realize that he was maybe set up to win the tournament, like all the other knights were like, I'm not going to win this tournament, because that means i got to be a Grey Warden, that sounds bad, so they kind of let this doofus win, uh, <laughs> I, that is my headcanon, if that is not what is actually true. Uh, I really appreciate it. Uh, Sir Jory, set up to fail. Um, <laughs> and as we keep moving forward, I mean, so we get to actually fight some Darkspawn here, which is kind of interesting because I feel like up to this point, we've kind of been set up to think that the Darkspawn are like this this unending horde of almost unkillable monsters. They so ken here's the thing Mm. up to this point they've kind of been like gray wardens are the things that defend us against the darkspawn 
but they haven't been much more specific than that and i remember the first time playing i was like why can all these rando dudes just kill darkspawn like if they're able to do it why can't everyone do it Mm -hmm. and obviously we're going to learn later on why specifically like what specific role the gray wardens serve right uh in that process and it's not necessarily just the killing of the endless rabble if that was it you know like the dwarves have got that unlocked but um we we really mess up some some darkspawn here and i don't know i was kind of feeling like uh not these dudes ain't nothing bring on the army we got this um i mean i can't really think of any encounters in this game or specifically that ever felt like more than just like busy work that that didn't feel like you're just kind of i'm feeling it the most with rogue even more than i felt it playing as a warrior because the warrior you just be like all right i'm gonna click on the enemy and walk at him we're going to hit things and yeah uh and with the rogue like the whole idea is you're supposed to kind of be playing around the enemy you're supposed to be getting into a backstab position or a place where you can kind of put your your spells your cc on them and boy i'm dying a lot just because i feel like i spend half the time just kind of walking around not hitting anything and trying to maneuver a little bit um and then the other half of the time it's just like okay well i'm behind them and i hit them once and now they're like hey you can't do that and they turn around and now i'm not doing big damage anymore i'm doing little damage and so uh it's a i don't know again we talked about this already but the combat is not really that rewarding yeah what what difficulty are you playing on oh i i bumped it down we talked about this last episode i I bumped it all the way down and i i understand that that takes some of the difficulty out of it but that's not my issue with it i feel like if the thing i was doing was more challenging in a difficulty sense that still wouldn't give me reward because i don't feel like there are meaningful decisions i'm making it feels even when i pause and do the whole tactical thing and try to like plan and stuff like that it still just kind of feels like i'm in a fight that is just two forces kind of running at each other and then hitting each other. Um, We're not really to a point in the game yet where uh, the enemies have a lot of different unit types. It's kind of just either archers or sword units, like, you know, your basic fodder or, like, maybe a few special enemies that have greater reach or stuff like that. Um, But even then, I feel like as the game is going on, I'm, I'm not finding... The, the most interesting, unique enemies end up being the ones that you fight as boss fights yeah. uh, that are very one-off. Right. And even in Dragon Age Inquisition, I felt like there was more variety to the enemies I was fighting. Right. Um, as a, like, I would say as a mage, the majority of all the... Like, I don't... There's no strategy for me to bother with. All I am doing is cycling through my cooldowns until the other side is dead. And... Where, in into an Inquisition, it felt like I was having to be more kind of aware of not only, like, not only my cooldowns, but, like, how the abilities that I had could interplay with everybody else's, where, and, you know, I get, we're, I get it that we're still very early on, but I don't have any, like, grand memories of Dragon Age Origins, even in the, because I played this game multiple times back in the day, and I don't have any, like, great memories about, sort of, like, interplay between me and my party i have a i have an offhand question you may not know the answer to Mm. 
I'm guessing there's no way to change your class, right? No. Like, not. obviously, you're, it's locked. But is there a way to, like, respec and change the points that you've distributed? Uh, there should be. A, I think it's a consumable. Uh, I don't remember what it was called. Okay. But I'm pretty sure, yeah. I'm probably going to pivot my character into being an archer because mm -hmm. I'm playing dual blade rogue right now. And it just feels intensely unrewarding. Uh, and I played dual blade rogue in Dragon Age 2. And I played a little bit of it in Inquisition as well and just felt way more rewarding in those games because they felt more active and I felt like the abilities mm. had more things to do. Like, like fun fact, at least at the level I have it right now, I might have to level it up to get this, but at the level I have it right now, stealth, I cannot activate it in combat. Mm. And because it forces you into story cutscenes, even if you're in stealth, uh there is a cutscene that happens later on. I mean, any of these battles where you would have like walked into a cutscene where you would then fight something, uh, it breaks your stealth. So you don't get that advantage of having the drop on a character, which is like maybe one of the most important things you would have as like a dual blade assassin type mm -hmm. rogue. So my first plan was to kind of maybe go into the duelist route and just be kind of a dexterity frontline fighter that just dodges a lot of stuff and, and kind of duels on the front line, but even that seems really ineffective, so I think I'm just going to kind of roll with what I've got right now, and once I've got some decent abilities and stuff, I'm going to change and, and respec my character into an archer, which mm. seems like it will at least be a little bit more tolerable, because uh, right. I always liked playing as Varric in Dragon Age Inquisition, so... Yeah. Uh, anyways, that's enough combat talk for this week. <laughs> um we well, once we get to the gray warden tower so like getting the darkspawn blood we just kill a bunch of darkspawn and get some blood that drops from their bodies nothing really special uh we also pick up a flower while we're out here that will later we'll give it to the Houndmaster to help heal the mabari warhound a little bit more uh and then once we get to where the treaties are supposed to be we meet kind of one of the other major characters of dragon age origins which is morrigan uh who Alistair and the others are like immediately going, oh god, she's a witch, she's going to turn mm -hmm. us into a toad. Uh, with Morrigan, I was immediately like, you know, I was kind of going round for round with her, punch for punch, like, you know, she'd be kind of uh, coy or witty, and I would give the same back. Mm -hmm. um, I like her character a lot. Uh, yeah. I I did not know how much I would enjoy this character coming back to it because I feel like over the years I did romance Morgan on my first playthrough of Origins and I felt like I remembered her character poorly in hindsight. Mm. Uh, just kind of like, oh, you know, I bet if I go back and she's probably just going to be like this edgy mage that I'm not going to enjoy that much. But really she's like this strange mix of liara in mass effect one where she's really kind of not aware of the world around her um mm. and you're kind of teaching her a lot of stuff or even maybe tolly um but but then a little bit of like i don't know let's say jack or or samara when samara's mad like that idea that like they they don't know much about the world but they know that they are a powerful person and that right. they have more power and control over the world than most other people do so they're more fascinated with the concept of the world but realize that most people are kind of beneath them right uh morgan's a really interesting character to me yeah. i think her development 
across the series is really interesting. Uh, I can't wait right. until we get to parts of uh, her story in Inquisition. Yeah. But uh, this yeah. intro for her is really strong. I feel like she comes out the gate as like you've met a lot of really stereotypical fantasy characters. And yes, she's dressed like a stereotypical fantasy character. But uh, I think she kind of makes an immediate appeal to be a more interesting character than you think she is. Yeah, I think there's like, it's an interesting thing because we've, like this far removed from when the game launched, I feel like sort of the public opinion of Morgan, or at least perception of her, has kind of like, you know, they they try to call her like the Ice Queen of Dragon Age, where she's like, fairly personable, like, more so than I mm-hmm. remembered Im- immediately, like, and a lot of that comes from, like, you have sort of the options to kind of, like, you know, have, the, like, the witty back and forth between each other. Yeah, I mean, she hates Alistair, and that's great. That's a, that's a, that's... She, like, toys with Alistair. Yeah. Okay, that's fair. Okay. But he hates her, though. We'll say, we'll yes, say that. absolutely. But I find her agreeable most of the time. Like, I do think that as we get into later stuff, where we talk about, like, sort of, like, the approval, disapproval stuff, which doesn't really start happening until Lothering. Um, I feel like she often gets kind of pigeonholed into being, you know, the character that has, like, is almost, like, angry at the nice choice for no real discernible reason. She's supposed to be pragmatic, I think. She's supposed to be the character that thinks, like, why don't you just pick the easy thing to do? Like, why aren't you doing this? Like, come on, okay, so we gotta break a few eggs, but it's the easier thing to do, just do it. I think so. I think that I mean that's part of it, but I also feel like there are certain choices that were to be made where it feels like Morgan is just against it to be against it. Like it feels like that is. I maybe it's I don't know if it's necessarily an issue of the system of approval disapproval versus things like that they'll do in later games like the friendship rivalry system, but it feels like. It's almost, it feels like they had, like, bullet points of things that characters wouldn't like. And Morgan's mm. is, like, helping people. And just, like, or anything that is mildly inconvenient. I don't know. It's a... I don't, I don't know. I think there are other things that happen later on that might, in this episode, go against that. But I can see where you're coming from. Yeah. Uh, but the fact that we can have this conversation about her makes her a more interesting character than most. Because most other characters, it's like oh you did something that was good for the templar the the templar character sure you like that but the mage character didn't and yeah. and that sort of thing and i find morgan i find morgan extremely interesting even just in that she exists outside of these sorts of confines right. uh, when we had our mass effect panel we talked a lot about how uh characters even like you know ones that people you know emphatically love like uh tali and legion and Morden kind of get defined by the conflicts that surround their character. And uh, the good ones kind of break the mold and stand out a little bit, and the bad ones kind of end up just being Edie. Um, and <laughs> I, I think Morgan is really interesting because she doesn't have a central conflict that defines her. She doesn't have that templar mage dynamic yeah at least not one chantry dynamic right at least not one that is sort of like has ramifications across the dragon age universe like hers is more about her relationship with her mother and the various ways in which that is going to evolve in this game and in inquisition but like i think it's interesting that she doesn't care much about the whole like templars hunting apostate things like you can bring it up in Lothering later 
and and she's just she's more in, she's more entertained by the idea of someone trying to right. contain her and kill her than any sort of like actual issue she would have against her kind being hunted right um anyways we're getting a little ahead of ourselves uh we meet flemeth the actual witch of the wilds uh and flemeth looks real different in this game ken yes real real different again just another sign that like this game was not forward thinking she really gets a glow up in dragon age 2 (laughs) a very questionable and weird one that i think is still to this day (laughs) one of the like weirdest things that bioware has done in terms of character design in a while yeah actually Um, the now that i'm suddenly thinking about it i'm going like wait a minute right right and so like i'm gonna like just to point something out where we see her and how she looks in dragon age 2 is technically like right before or not even right before or like it's like near the exact same time as all this yeah so like what did she just change clothes and then like we come back later and she's back in her robes. I, I don't even know. It's a whole thing. Like, I, don't know. I mean, I have I have my theories, but we could talk about them in Dragon Age 2. Yeah, that's but, a whole uh, really, all we need to know about Flemeth here is that she has the treaties uh, and she wants the wardens to have them. And she drops a lot of hints that you specifically are very important to things going well. This is kind of the first point where Bioware starts to go, you're the hero of the story. <laughs> and uh sends you on your merry way and and we'll we'll revisit her later later on but uh we we just kind of get a vague hey this seems like a character that knows more than they're letting on sort of thing uh, right so we meet some we we go back to duncan and we tell him that we met some some weird apostates the the witches in the wilds and I don't know, Duncan's just like, whatever. <laughs> we, we got bigger issues. <laughs> uh, bigger fish, fish to fry here. Uh, so now we got to do the joining, the initiation. Uh, so this is when we learn that the way that the Grey Wardens gain their mystical powers, their, their incredible anti-Darkspawn powers, is by drinking the blood of, of Darkspawn. Uh which we have been told frequently up to this point is bad for you. <laughs> uh, but apparently, Ken, do they ever, as the lore expert on this podcast, do they ever explain who the first person was that found that out? Huh. That's actually something I'm not sure not that you mentioned. Like, do they ever actually say, like, this is the first moron who drank darkspawn blood and then found out that it gave him superpowers like we we might need to do some extracurricular research on on the podcast here and 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 figure that out later but i'm I'm, i gotta find this now okay well while you do that i'll kind of go through some more i hope the dragon edge wiki doesn't like load an ad that's gonna burst into my microphone right now well, if it does, the the people at home will get to hear a lovely message from our not sponsors. But if you would like to sponsor this podcast, you can head over to patreon.com slash normdfmshow. Or actually, normdfm is the other one that has show yeah. on it. Uh, you can head over to patreon.com slash normdfm, become a sponsor, where you can get a shout out every episode. It's awesome. Or you can donate higher. We've got other tiers. You can get us closer to Jade Empire. That'd be neat. I mean... I've never played Jade Empire. 
Good I, game. I would like well, to I mean, play it, it Jade was Empire. Back then. I don't know how it is now, but but I will only only play Jade Empire if the people at home tell us to. Um, but other than that, uh, well, 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 while while you're there, while we're on the subject, you might as well give yes. people some shoutouts. Yeah, no, I was I, I was about to pivot there, Ken. I was, there I was right there. Right, good. I wanted to give a shout out to our shout out Patreon tiers, Kevin Kulikowski. Thank you so much, Chris Johns. Thank you, Ginny Wu, and Anthony Matthias. Thank you so much. Y'all are awesome. If you would like your name, shout it out. All you gotta do is go to Patreon.com/normdfm. These are these are some recent uh, some recent new patrons. I think we had some people join us after the panel. That's very exciting. Thank you all so much for joining us on this journey. We uh, we love to have you here. Uh, it's it's a lot of fun. Also, you can head to twitter.com slash show if you don't want to support us monetarily, help keep the lights on. You can just follow our Twitter account where we post all the updates on the show, all the feeds, and we also share work from myself and Ken. We're yeah. applicable. I mean, really, just whatever we do that's interesting. So, uh, uh, Ken, do we have information? Nope, it does not. I do not see it. Well, now we at least know that there was one moron out there who was dumb enough to drink Darkspawn blood. And I'm more interested in knowing whether the first person died or not, oh, okay. because that it, meant that the second person saw somebody the, die from drinking Darkspawn blood and then drank Darkspawn blood. Yeah, it, it says it says here, the joining ritual was created in the early days of the Order uh, during the First Blight. It is unknown exactly how the Grey Wardens developed this ritual, although many theories exist. That I don't know why that last part of the sentence exists. It's not going to tell me any of these, but... Yep, so nobody knows. I like that's my headcanon now is that uh, there were two people who tried this. The first one died, and the second one uh, still tried it anyways. Because that's the kind of go getter attitude we like to see in a great warden around here. Uh, maybe maybe like a drinking <laughs> game at some point, and then they're like, "Oh, you guys, I'm hearing voices." You know what's stronger than moonshine? Darkspawn blood. <laughs> Where'd you get that? Why do you have a bucket of darkspawn blood? Um, <laughs> If we haven't spoiled it for you already, uh, as we learn from Duncan and Alistair, uh, the joining can be fatal. Uh, you can die. And they kind of see that as... And this is maybe what I kind of like about the Grey Wardens as as a faction, as as sort of a group in Dragon Age, is that they basically see it as once you become a Grey Warden, you have died. Uh, you have given your life to the cause of being a Grey Warden. And whether you die during the joining or whether you die fighting darkspawn whether you die doing other things that gray wardens are want to do or whether you die from age because as i think we learn at the end of this portion that we play here uh gray wardens have notoriously short lifespans Mm. uh you will die like it, it is not a question of whether you will live into old age or not but uh it's I think that's kind of an interesting aspect. Again, we talked about the the Brotherhood uh, from Game of Thrones that watched the wall, um, and it's sort of the same thing where you are just considered a, a dead person and you are giving your life to the cause. Um, and once we once this starts, of course, the first person uh, tries to drink the blood and dies. That's our lovely cut purse dies right there. Uh, and then good old Sir Jory, the, <laughs> the stooge of all senses. nights, 
uh yeah no at this point he realizes uh maybe this isn't for me but then in a pure dumbass sir jory move hashtag sir jory move uh he decides to back himself up to a pillar and draw his sword against a dude who is super known for being able to kick ass and take names uh i'm sorry jory if i were you i would have just booked it or honestly if you're just going to go that route i don't know jump from the tower or something hope you hope you don't break both your legs when you land you know it's you got to think a little bit more on your feet there jory you're not you're not thinking that's that's why you didn't cut it as a great warden and, and duncan had to cut you instead is is you were not thinking on your feet there that's not the type of go-getter attitude we like to see in the great wardens however our player character complete bullheaded it's just like whatever man i'll down that dark spawn blood let's do this <laughs> did you was that for me i was like wow your character just kind of goes ham on that dark spawn blood after seeing two people die he's just like whatever down it <laughs> I mean, I think that, I guess if you see somebody get stabbed for not doing it, you're like, okay, I guess it's, it's my only way out. <laughs> Might as well roll the die, yeah. Have a chance. Um, um, I don't know, it's... I don't like the scene. I don't like... You don't like it? I mean, it's... This game doesn't really do much to endear you into, like, your cause and the faction that you exist within. And I get, like you know, the whole premise is that the Grey Worms is supposed to be, like, this very hard lifestyle, and, like, like you said, you're basically considered dead at that point, but, like, you gotta imagine that, like, there are probably people that, like, I don't know, go AWOL or things of that nature, and, you know, I get, like, the blight itself is, like, you know, this thing is bigger than all of us, so, like, maybe not, like, your character needs to be good for something that's AWOL, but, like, you're, if you're, the entire point of this game is, like, or in throughout this game, you're supposed to be like have pride in the fact that you're a gray warden. Is like, why would I have pride being in this thing that has to deceive people to get into it? And then when they realize the truth of it, they want to get out. You kill them, and I don't know. It's it, I think it just comes down to like a lot of things. Like I don't feel invested in a lot of the story of Origins because it never doubles down on the stuff that I think is interesting about the Dragon Universe, and it ex- kind of expects me to be kind of chill with things like that. I mean, I think this is definitely set up as a way for them to be like, this isn't, you know, this isn't your kid's fantasy game. This isn't Lord of the Rings. People are going to die. There's a lot of scenes early on in this game that I feel are are just kind of there to establish that, like, yes, we're going to kill characters. There are going to be people that die. Uh, And I think this is one of them. But what does it for me for the Grey Wardens is that, like I said, there's a blight coming in. And these are people who are kind of accepting that there will need... To, I mean, there's a, there's a screen that you can get as a loading screen that that reflects the, that Grey Warden motto that, like, in, in death there... Or in death there is sacrifice. Like, um, they they give themselves to the cause. They're basically... They, they almost envision themselves as, like, almost Jedi in the way that they're, like, trying to give of all their earthly possessions for the betterment of the world as a whole um and obviously that went really well for the jedi uh mm. <laughs> uh in terms of great wardens it is interesting that we don't see anyone go awol although um maybe somebody I mean, will later maybe somebody will at some point but at this point we don't really get an indication that there are any but i, I think the other interesting aspects 
um, this entire scene is it just kind of it reinforces how dire things are but I, I don't know it, it, it maybe also reinforces the idea that there are like politics at play in this because the one thing I kept thinking back to even, even as we were talking just now uh, the idea that Sir Jory might have been a stooge that he might have been set up that other people knew what was going on did not want to become Grey Wardens and so the the dumbass was was put up and the cut purse was the best like you think about the recruits that Duncan brought in like the Grey Wardens as much as King Kalen loves them they're not seen by like the nobility or by anyone else as this prestigious honor that should be given above all else like in every origin story there is kind of a reason why you wouldn't want to go with the gray wardens at first usually there's someone telling you like in mine in the city of one it's heavily implied that my we- my wedding date was moved to prevent me from becoming a gray warden uh, and had events not transpired as they did, I would have avoided that completely. Um, and I feel like this game can't really decide whether, you know, that actual fate of the Grey Wardens is a secret or not. I feel like maybe the actual thing that happens is not discussed among, like, you know, non-Grey Warden folk, but they do know that people tend to die during the joining. Because I mean, obviously, like... If you keep seeing you know, four gray wardens go up to the tower and only two come back down, it's, right. you're gonna start to get some ideas about what's going on. But uh, I think they just get the idea. Like it reinforces the idea that the gray wardens are both the only thing that can stop the blight, this like necessary painful evil, but also this thing that is reviled by most people. And mm-hmm. and like Duncan takes no pleasure in killing jory he just sees it as jory was rejected by the darkspawn blood he just didn't know it yet like i think part of me would like to think that if jory had tried drinking the blood he would not have survived it um and i think that's an interesting thing to explore is this sort of like necessary evil to combat the greater evil which is a lot of what dragon age origins is about right like the idea that you're going to have to compromise that you're not going to fall alongside paragon renegade lines that you're going to have to make decisions that will result in bad choices no matter what you do so you have to try and make the lesser of evils uh and that doesn't always shine but it is it is interesting from a role-playing perspective right uh, which i mean is what they were trying to do yeah and i think like it more than most things kind of informs the way that i play my warden throughout this game is a little bit detached from like not necessarily like the you know stopping of the blight but just sort of like the sort of honor or like that i'm supposed that or like that that it makes me feel like i'm supposed to feel about being a gray warden and that this is like something this is like my duty that i care about and it's more like i'm doing this because i don't like i mean who wants a blight but you know yeah so anyways, we've we've survived the joining. We are the one Grey Warden recruit that has survived. And we uh, go over to the King's strategy meeting so we can get ready for the battle that's about to happen. Which also made me realize, like, wow, we are really rushing into things here, aren't we? <laughs> Just drank some Darkspawn blood, and now we're going to go fight the Darkspawn. Uh, and we, I mean, the strategy meeting that we have here 
you kind of get the sense again that Kalen is not the smartest dude in the room. The basic strategy is that they're going to fight them at the gates, and the Darkspawn are definitely going to overwhelm them. But then we're going to light the ban- light the the signal at the top of the tower, and that's when Logan's forces will charge in from the side and wipe out the Darkspawn. Uh, and it, it falls to the the two youngest gray wardens alistair and yourself to be the ones to light the banner because they basically say like oh you know logan will have his men up there in the tower so it'll be fine and in the one prescient moment of this entire meeting both duncan and caitlin are like how about we put some gray wardens up there too just in case that seems like it's a thing that the strategy really hinges on so we should probably do that which makes you think that maybe Logan expected a different outcome from this entirely uh but mm. in general uh you kind of become this x factor which also then puts you out of harm's way which you can be upset about because you wanted to kill darkspawn or you can be like whatever i didn't want to get involved in the battle anyways but uh then we we get into the segment where the darkspawn are finally attacking the gates of ostagar uh we see the forces roll out first of all uh medieval strategy is stupid ken mm. <laughs> uh i'm not sh- i mean i guess they send out the mabari as like shock troops to just kind of shore up the defenses uh, or shore up the the offense of of the dark spawn before they actually hit the walls uh but man the mabari really get the worst of it they yeah that sucks it does uh, if, and, if, and, i'm sure if you go to like the what's it called does the dog die.com or whatever it is you'll find yes many many, like, many times yes, several times uh, yes. and and then we get archers and, and then the big fight breaks out and as is maybe painfully obvious by this point uh something is going wrong at the tower the dark spawn have burst up from the ground uh inside the tower and have been taking over it we need to get to the top fight our way to the top with two randos uh to light the the beacon so that Logan's men know to charge in uh and the fight to the top of the tower is just super boring but i mean this yep. is also what most of our dungeons are going to be like uh dungeons and dragon age in general are pretty boring they're pretty mm-hmm. fantasy dungeon-esque mm-hmm. it's maybe one of my least favorite things about dragon age design in general even into inquisition is that there's almost a need to have these really long dungeons that you go through to do things mm. uh, that I feel like they start to get away from in Inquisition a little bit. I remember, I mean, Dragon Age 2 is kind of infamous for having those repetitive right. uh, maps that you fight through over and over and over again. But even in Dragon Age Inquisition, it kind of feels like you're you're going through a large expanse of space just to go through a large expanse of space. Uh but once we get to the top, we get to fight an ogre, which is cool, neat, fun. Uh, I almost wiped. This was actually where I bumped my difficulty down to easy was after this fight. Um, because I was like, man, this sucks. <laughs> yeah. I like almost died twice. I, I think when I won, my main character was the only character alive. And I basically only won because I had the stun move as rogue. And right. I just stunned him and then just like managed to eke out the last bit of damage I needed. Yeah. Uh, overall whatever but we light the banner or i keep saying banner light the beacon and ken what happens oh logan sends his forces in and we take out all the dark spawn and the blight's over 
I know, game's over. It was a quick yeah. game, man. On to Dragon Age 2, baby. Hell yeah. <sighs> Sadly, uh, Loghain, uh just smirks and tells everyone to retreat and walks away. And... <sighs> Ken... Mm. I can suspend my disbelief. I really can. I can mm-hmm. suspend with the best of them. Yeah. The fuck is this scene, man? Like, Logan's just like, he's, everyone knows his plan. Everyone knows what's supposed to happen. Mm-hmm. Even his second in command is like, why aren't we charging, sir? And he's just like, we're leaving. That's it. It is. Yet, yeah. within 10 minutes of this scene, you start hearing things like Logan has said that, okay, okay, Put a pin in that. We're going to come back to that real quick once we okay. get through the actual events of what happens. Put a pin in that. Logan's mm-hmm. deception. We've gone through Logan's deception. Duncan and Kaylin are killed in the attack by Darkspawn. Uh, we are we ourselves are about to die at the top of the tower, and then kind of this like really a flash of light, and all this crazy stuff happens, and we wake up in a bed uh, in Flemeth's hut in the wilds and morgan is tending to our wounds uh and we basically get told that you know exactly what has happened the dark spawn has wiped out all of the king's forces Logain retreated instead of attacking the only reason we're alive is because flemeth as we learn uh turned into a giant hawk and carried us out of the tower uh not not our average joe buddies but just alistair and and ourselves uh and we're kind of left to figure to pick up the pieces and figure everything out so in in this case so in this specific situation i I try to be nice to morgan because you Mm -hmm. can be like a dick to her um i try to be nice to her like thank her and stuff like that she did just help us so Uh uh-huh and and then we kind of go outside we talk to alistair and alistair is obviously a little bit torn up because his mentor has just died everyone around him has just died you can't actually have a moment where you can be like well who says we have to do great warden stuff and he's like well i do and i can't have you leaving me now like please don't leave me right now uh it's did actually you say that? what did you say that yeah no I, I i said as something like why do we have to do any of this we don't have to be great wardens anymore uh and he has like a really good moment of like please don't leave me alone in this. I don't know if I can handle this by myself. And it, right. it, it was surprisingly good. This is where I started to be like, okay, Alistair's got more to his character than I remember. Um, and then Flemeth kind of lets us in on everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, that the Blight is coming, that Flemeth is definitely the Flemeth that we know of from myth that uh, spurned by uh, an angry king became a super powerful sorceress in the wilds became the witch of the wilds uh pretty much sounds like she made a deal with the devil almost like a faustian deal uh and we can kind of probe her a little bit about the different histories that surround her and all that uh but she basically tells us we've got those treaties we can still muster an army to try and stop the blight before it wipes out all of ferelden uh which we need to do because now the the blight is moving past Ostagar and towards the rest of Ferelden. And we also get told that uh Morgan's coming with us to help. She's not happy about it. Oh yeah, not happy about it at all. Um 
I yeah. I can't remember if you can if you actually can turn her away at this point. No, because I, I know that most of the characters in this game you can eventually have them leave your party. Either you do some, you get enough disapproval that they just leave, or you can tell them to leave. Yeah. Uh, I can't remember if Morgan is one of them. I, don't... I feel like I think Morgan has to be in the party no matter what, uh, because of things that happen way later in the story. But, but also trying to remember does she have to be in the party for that still to happen oh that's a good point Hmm. see that's what i'm talking about this game has got so many hooks so many little things that can happen uh so many people that can leave your party uh and so we 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 head out on our way to load the ring so morgan basically tells us she's gonna lead us out of the wilds and get us to load the ring which is the closest village that has resources whoa, 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 and stuff. What? I mean, you said what? that you had more to talk about about Logan. Yeah, no, we're about to get there. Don't worry, don't okay, worry. Right. I'm, I'm getting there. Get there. Right, See, okay. the, tw- twice tonight, I was getting somewhere. You cut me off. I knew where I was going. Um, we're going to Lothering, and and on the way, as we as we hop along on our merry way. First of all, we do have a fight halfway there where we fight some some dudes on the roads. Uh, actually, I think it's some darkspawn, isn't it? Fight some, mm, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. We do have darkspawn, yeah. Uh, we fight some darkspawn, and uh, our Mabari warhound that we cured has shown back up and becomes part of the party, which Alistair loves and Morgan does not like. <laughs> but uh, as we move closer to Lothering, uh, we get kind of a flash out to what's happening over in Redcliffe, I believe. Redcliffe. Uh, it's either Redcliffe or Denerim. It, yeah, it's Denerim, where the, the lands meet us later. So, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so in Denerim. Uh, once we get there, we see Loghain talking to the citizens, and uh, Queen Enora, who is his daughter and was also the queen t- uh, to King Kaelin. Uh, so now, now Loghain has basically seized power. Um and he's trying to rally the people to his side and, and get everybody on board with the low gain plan. Uh, low gain 2020. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, instantly, Ban Tegan, uh, who we are to assume is another major political player in the human, the human nobility, uh, calls bullshit. <laughs> it's like... Uh, dude, you probably took off on Loghain to seize power. And that's when Loghain's like, nah, didn't, and walks away. (laughs) (laughs) No, I did not. I will not take any further questions at this time. Uh, And then he he went back home, and he tweeted out, it was a perfectly good tactical maneuver I executed (laughs) on the battlefield. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just, I'm sorry. This is my new thing now. I'm just going to keep making uh, Logan comparisons to uh, one terrible person. And uh, that's just what it's going to be now. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> this is the part that gets me, Ken. So once we get to Lothering, we start talking to some people and telling them that we're like, don't worry, I'm going to address some other stuff that I know I'm skipping over. But... Uh, we quickly learn in Lothering that oh, the Logain's been saying that the Grey Wardens are the ones that mm. killed Kaelin and did all the bad stuff, and Logain's actually the smart one. And I, I'm standing there like, wait a minute, 
many, many people saw what Loghain did. Like, there were literally hundreds of soldiers, not not just including his second in command, who all know that he smirked and told them all to retreat and left Caelan there to die. And then is like, oh, the Grey Wardens are the bad people. And I'm just going like, this dude is terrible at politics, but for some reason, the dumbasses in Ferelden are eating it up anyways. So, Ken, I'm saying that Dragon Age Origins is the political commentary that I didn't know we needed in 2020. <laughs> uh, but we have it. It's here. We're living in it. And it, it, it's the one part where I was like, I, I don't get what the logical through line is here. Because I guess I can understand the soldiers being all like, oh, you know, we, we got told we're supposed to find Grey Wardens and round them up. And then because I'm human and mean and human i i'm also racist towards elves so <laughs> get a lot of that uh and there but there are even people in town who are like oh the gray wardens are the signal of the end time you know they're causing the blight and stuff like that and i'm just going like how are people this freaking dumb i mean i know the printing press probably hasn't been invented no, yet if, but like good well, god one thing i was gonna say is i don't know how much like a lot of it probably comes down to like they don't have any other frame of reference or like any sort of like if you're told something by the people that were there, you assume that that's probably the truth. I don't know how much, like how skeptical a lot of people in Ferelden are generally, just because I mean, like they follow the maker. Apparently, just a mild amount of skepticism puts you above like ninety percent of the NPCs in Dragon Age Origins. <laughs> uh, anyways, uh, as we're entering Lothering, uh, we meet some bandits who are trying to take advantage of refugees. Uh, escaping the blight you can fight and kill them if you want uh, which opens up a quest path uh, i just told them that there was another cart coming along yep. the road yep. with a ton of gold in it and they were like oh that's even better than what they've got let's wait for that one you guys go on ahead and i'm like wow people are really stupid in this game <laughs> um i do like the note here that theoretically the hawk family is is here in Lothering mm-hmm. somehow uh because that that is true as the events of dragon h2 line up uh they would be here as the gray warden is passing through uh, the gray mm-hmm. wardens as they pass through but um so i'm gonna bring it up now mm-hmm. uh i think we talked about this at some point last week uh maybe after the podcast you and i did but here's the weird thing about the way relationships work in dragon age is that they kind of evolve organically as your approval or disapproval goes up and down mm-hmm. and then once you pass certain thresholds and then go through certain checks you can start to opt into the romances or not and they actually and here's the thing i really like about them uh and and i feel like we talked about this with mass effect but i just want to reiterate it here uh romances in dragon age feel more relationshipy mm-hmm. and less less like a fling right. that's going to end with like a hookup at the end of the game like you you kind of always know when the hookup's going to happen in the mass effect games but with dragon age uh especially the first two games you can get into a relationship really early on and then that's going to play out throughout the game like you are going to be in a relationship at that point right uh and you can then break up with a character and get back together or date a different character in your party and that can do all sorts of different things that's one reason why i really like dragon age 2 um because they do cool things with that but 
yeah, overall, it it's it's. I think it's really interesting. Um, you were gonna say something, Ken? Yeah, and I think it's just it's nice that like it doesn't feel like the like you're missing out on like a different path or something. It just feels like it informs like sort of the relationship that you have throughout the game, regardless. Because mm-hmm. like characters will still go on like like it'll still have relatively close to the same conversations, but like it might just be tinged in a different way, or there mm-hmm. might be like additional dialogue on certain things. But it never feels like you have to miss out or anything of that nature. Like, you don't have to miss out on things if you don't follow a relationship, which is how Mass Effect is. Like, mention it on the panel. Like, if you don't romance Caden, you miss out on half a story. And Dragon Age just always seemed to be, like, really on top of, like, people can be friends or mm-hmm. in a relationship. And it be not, like, it not necessarily feel like you're seeing the superior relationship to the other Mm. yes it's and and you're not having to like hop down a path and get yourself locked into a relationship or whatever like they they just feel like they happen organically mm. uh almost and so like i'll tell you at this point um on the way into Lothring, i stopped and talked to morgan a few times and stopped and talked to alistair a few times and that already uh you noted that you know dragon age has banter and this was kind of very different from mass effect for a long time up until andromeda which is you know while mass effect had the loading screen uh elevators where squad mates would occasionally talk to each other or maybe maybe once in a while during certain story events or something happens there might be some unique dialogue that they would have in exchange with each other for the most part mass effect did not have party banter until andromeda because it was never really that open of a world that you would have that much time spent free roaming around where they would talk to each other Whereas uh, here, you've got a lot more of that open world where you're kind of just walking around doing quests, and so your characters will kind of ambiently talk to each other. And already, because I had high approval with Morgan already uh, from from speaking to her about different stuff, which, by the way, you go into her dialogue lines about how she can shapeshift and how she, like, turned into a cat and stuff like that. Um, And then also, like, living in the wilds and and all the different stuff that she does there uh alistair is already like he made a comment that was like so what about you and him what's going on mm. there and obviously like him is referencing like right. my character and and morgan's just kind of like "Ooh, jealous are you and stuff like that and it's, <laughs> i'm sure if i'm sure if we talk to him we can resolve it and he'll start giving you more attention it like makes alistair all bashful and stuff it's like mm. It's just really good, and it does a really good job of like endearing me to this cast right. really fast, right. uh, which which I'm a big fan of. Uh, I feel like even though the Dragon Age one cast is is largely forgettable in the scheme of things, it's it's still enjoyable to have this, and I feel like later Dragon Ages are better for it. The inclusion right. of this sort of stuff, Definitely. Uh, and it, in some cases, it ends up making those characters a little bit. Uh, just the fact that they do have that all that ambient dialogue mm-hmm. with you. Yeah, like, and I mean, later on they actually start including once you have like an actual hawk character or an right. actual inquisitor character then your character starts to get involved a little bit too and i yeah. think is it in inquisition where you can have speech choices that pop up as you're walking around yeah mm-hmm. yeah that that was the big one for me where i was like oh my god yes please all of this all the time always this this is so good yeah. um i love it <laughs> Yeah, um, I, like, in terms of, like, sort of the beginnings of a relationship, I'm going to just kind of, like, 
say up front now, so like there's a there's a struggle. Like say like you live in a small town. Yes. And your options might be slim. Mm-hmm. That is Dragon Age Origins to me. And Hey man, it's like Mass Effect One all over again. It's, it's slim picking city. <laughs> yeah. But we'll talk more about that probably next episode. You do have pickings, so it is better than... I have a single pick to pick. Yeah, so it's... it's In that way, it is 100% better than Mass Effect 1. <laughs> I guess so. Like, the math checks out. I do... Okay, while we're broaching the subject, uh, I always find it comically hilarious. Like, so dumb to the point of it actually being funny that that is the sort of options that you get for a male-male romance... But you can also work your way into, like, a foursome <laughs> with, yeah. with different characters if you are a male character. I think it, you can only do it if you're a male character, I think. Uh, uh, no, no, no. I think it's got, you got to be a woman, actually. Oh, wait. You have to be a woman for that one? I thought it, you could do it as a male. No. I'm, now I'm starting to wonder, is there a fivesome? <laughs> there might be a fivesome. Because it's, okay, for for the folks at home, the one we're talking about is that a character we're about to meet, Liliana, as well as Isabella, who we will meet in Dragon Age 2 more officially, and Zevrin? It's those three, right? Yeah, I guess in that scenario, you could probably be either. I, I think it... I think that's how it goes. We will do extracurricular research and come back to you with that once we get to that part in the plot, but... Uh, I always thought it was ridiculous that that option was in there, but there are so so few options for if you're trying to do like a same-sex romance. I actually have not looked up yet to see what the female-female romance options are. Uh, in, in this game? Yes. Liliana. Liliana is? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, I guess. Because she is in Dragon Age Inquisition as well, right. Um, uh, cool. Usually I do my research for that because... In Mass Effect, I was playing a female shepherd, but again, here, when I picked the female elf, it looked incredibly goofy, and I was like, I'm not doing that. So, uh, goofy character models prevented me from being aware of this. Thanks, Bioware. Anyways, we are here to meet Leliana. That's the... Well, it was not the first character I recruited uh, in this town, but it's one of the two characters that you're kind of here to recruit. Um, besides the fact that you're kind of here to get resources and just get apprised of what the situation is before you take out to go after some of the treaties that you have uh, to bring more forces to the Grey Warden side, uh, you are also just kind of here to meet some people and find some things out, and so the game kind of directs you to the tavern as a, as a means to an end for that. And once you get to the tavern, uh, lo and behold, there are some... F- I guess you would call them just the forces of of Denerim, like the human forces. Uh, They were soldiers left behind by Loghain to look for you and Alistair specifically. uh, And to to clean up any remaining Grey Wardens. So Leliana shows up and tries to make the peace, but once it becomes clear that's not going to happen, she joins in the fight with us. And we actually do not... So... While this technically does not end lethally, you can still kill other characters that aren't the main guy. Mm-hmm. And I know this because the first time I played through this, uh, I killed like two other dudes before I, I killed him. And then yeah. he was like, okay, wait, 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 stop. And then, like he it ended and he walks out and I'm like, oh, there's like two 
bodies lying on the floor there um one of them was in the kitchen like next to the the kid and i was like oh sorry kid yeah that's a that's a dead body um but once once he backs off we we get an interesting choice um did you let these dudes go i did what did you tell him to do i told him to take a message to logan that we knew what he did Oh, I did the same thing. I wanted to send a message. I'm all about that. Yeah. Like, let Logan know it's not. We're coming for you. That's he, he. That could then be perceived as a right. threat, and he could turn that around. I wanted. I know what you did. Right. We know what you did last summer. <laughs> so, bringing that movie back, uh, and then Liliana tries to join us, and through the course of conversation, you can find out that the maker told her to join us. And, Kenton, this is also where I'm going to say that the Dragon Age Origins depictions of a character seems to vastly differ from what I remember as the Inquisition's representation. Very much Like, so. that, that representation of that character. Because yeah. in Origins, we have a... I wouldn't say devout, because it's not like she's devoted to the Chantry specifically. Right. More like to the Maker mm-hmm. and to the idea of God and by the time we come around to inquisition leliana is maybe not that character anymore right. <laughs> um I mean, still got, but i like... do like leliana as a character a lot i sadly rarely use her and will probably rarely use her this playthrough because she is a rogue right. and i don't need two rogues on a team what am i trying to lose the game so uh right probably will not use her too much i did on the way out of town and i was like my god i forgot how dumb this is having two rogues on the team we're just getting wiped but yeah uh, i'm a character yeah i I like lillian a lot like over the course of the games but i also think that she is like a bordering on a liara type character who is like a writer's pet sort of thing where like Mm. they have her because she's in all three games and she her role kind of changes to fit whatever's going on and that's fair yeah and i think it's also just a matter of like it's another one of the things where like the continuity of the series is full of holes because of the nature of it but i always like you don't see that as like leliana is a character who changes to fit whatever suits her like you don't see her like not to draw like immediate comparisons between hair color but like as a black widow type character who is going to just kind of do whatever needs to be done to like stay alive and and keep advancing her plot i mean she basically becomes a shadow broker by inquisition right. uh but... in a sense but i also just like even like not even inquisition like the dragon age 2 like the middle step of that she's like in a completely different sort of like role and place than she was in origins and a lot of that like there's a scenario in this game where she can die in order right and then they have to just let that happen like they don't even end up acknowledging that to like the epilogue of inquisition's dlc like they they have like they they want to use liliana and that's fine but they always kind of forget that they have already had these things in place where a lot of other things could have happened and they break the story to put her there yeah i can i can see that I mean, 
in some ways i almost find that endearing that they're just like they're willing to just be like oh yeah that wasn't that wild how like (laughs) everyone thought i died back there but actually i was alive that's almost kind of fun in a way but i do get if you're like going for something where you want that sort of like really meaningful continuity and your your choices to have that weight that carries over that 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 would be frustrating if that was a conscious choice you made you feel like it was wiped away oh even if like the net result was impositive you know like this character that you thought you had to kill for a choice you made uh turns out it was fine all's good but um i can see i can see that yeah um the other character we meet is sten i like to call i like to call sten one of the most forgettable characters in this game it's like a especially when looking forward to characters like iron bull and yes the era shock from dragon age 2 yes there's like a very strange treatment of Sten in this game. Both from, okay, from, like, a visual standpoint, like, he doesn't look like other, uh, Kunari right, that show right. up in the later games. Like, he doesn't have horns. And they explain that away, like, oh, not all of them have them, that's fine. But, there are weird things where, like, people are like, what are you? Or, like, what do you care about that creature? As if this is not, like, a character and, like, a species that we've seen be like citizens almost like the this universe and i don't it, it just feels like another one of the things of like origins is not representative of what dragon age became or like the way that this world views its people and its cultures and i don't know it's like and it was a weird thing for me to ask like it literally says what are you like that was the choice mm-hmm. to make and i was like not only do I want to, like, assume that my character kind of, like, knows things and doesn't look at a person and be like, what are you exactly? But, I don't know, it's... Imagine going over to Iron Bull, what are you? What are you, you, you thing? I mean, for some, for, I mean, think of it in terms of, like, some origins would never have any reason to know who the Canari are, so, like... I, I doubt that, like, your mage character would know if they've just been at the mage tower for a long time, because it's not like the Canari are over there, and it's, you know, maybe they just don't see, because the Canari aren't really connected to magic in a super meaningful way as far as the circle is concerned, uh, they don't feel the need to have that information there. But phrasing it as, what are you? Again, I feel like some of the writing in this has just really shown its age yeah, over time. But- it, it has, and it's, and it's in a, like, a lot of... There was a line in um, the Mage origin story where uh, Jowen, uh like introduces you to his girlfriend, and you can, there's an option for, like, this fat cow is your girlfriend, or the one you've been telling... Like, there's, like, a yeah. weird... Like, like I said, this has not aged well in the way that it talks about people, and, like, yeah the relationships between people and cultures, and... It's not even sort of, it's not always in, like, a way that seems very, like, evocative of, like, you know, race relations and talking about, like, prejudice and power dynamics, but it just kind of, like, feels grossly insensitive to just, like, talking about and to people. I feel like, in that sense, the jump between Origins and Two is just massive. Right. In in the writing, specifically. Mm -hmm. Um man i'm really looking forward to playing dragon age 2 again i know it's gonna I be great keep, i just keep thinking about it because i'm like I, th- I feel like that's the game that i also have 
like I have the strongest memories of certain moments. Like when you said the Aeroshock, I just got this immediate picture in my head of the Aeroshock and who that character is and what that conflict is. And I'm not kidding. That's like one of my favorite Bioware things ever is that entire arc with the Aeroshock. Mm-hmm. It's so good and so well done. I feel like it, we're getting ahead of ourselves a bit again, but it's because Origins isn't giving us a lot to work with. <laughs> um, but I remember that a lot of the reasons why people like it it's not it's not a fresh take to say that people were not happy with Dragon Age 2 uh, when it came out because right. they, they had a lot of criticisms some of them valid some of them honestly valid saying that as someone who is really looking forward to playing it again after I myself did not enjoy Dragon Age 2 as much as I thought I would uh, but I feel like that specifically the Aeroshock stuff, people came out of that game going like, that was incredible. Mm-hmm. That was so well done. Yeah. And I'm just so looking forward to that. Anyways, so Sten, the other thing about Sten is, is I just don't feel like his character arc is incredibly interesting. It almost feels like it's written to be very basic. And you're supposed to be like, huh, he has a really interesting way of thinking about life. But like really it just ends up being very, dry and and unmemorable and he's one of those characters that from what i remember has the least amount of effect on anything in the dragon age universe like all things considered and maybe there's something interesting to be said there but this is a character who basically disappears off the face of the earth after the end of this game and And it's it's also frustrating that he's the only representative of a species in this game. Because, yes. Like, again, like, yeah. imagine, okay, again, imagine a world where Dragon Age 2 didn't happen, and this is the dude. This is the the Kunari of the Dragon Age God. universe. Like, it's, yeah. What, why would he, like, why is he even here? Like, I, no, and, I mean, and you that's brought like, up, like, you think of characters like the Aeroshock and Iron Bull, who just became these if we were doing rankings of Dragon Age companions, Iron Bull would be super high up there mm. because he became this fan favorite. He became this beloved character. And I don't think that... I don't think that happens if Sten carries forward. I think that Sten had to stay behind in some ways, but yeah. I mean, we'll talk more about him as we get further into the game and we learn more about his backstory. But honestly it's largely disappointing uh it's not something that i have a lot of fondness for uh to the point that i just straight up don't remember most of it um Mm -hmm. it's it's not even very memorable so um but we do we do have to to let him out because a we're not dicks and b um you know just have the party members have all the party members in the game uh so can you use the fact that you could have Leliana with you and that kind of makes that decision a lot easier uh, to do? I, the way I did it was I actually went and talked to, talked to Sten the first time, then went to the Revered Mother, then went to get Leliana, then mm-hmm. got Sten out. So if you don't do that, as you have in your notes, you don't only have to threaten the mother to do that. Um, you can either say that you are a Grey Warden and you are conscripting this this Kunari into the Grey Wardens, and she'll be like, fine, just get out of my town. I don't want the Grey Wardens here. Or you can lie to her and say that you are bringing him back to the Kunari 
and if you have enough persuasion she'll just be like oh well i didn't even know the canary knew he was here that solves all my problems thank you here's the key and like that that's what i did and i was like cool neat thanks (laughs) um before we move on to the last little bits here there are some little tidbits that we do learn um rl eman who is kind of one of the other major human nobles who is poised as the person who could be putting a stop to all of logan's messes uh is sick uh and it's so bad that uh many knights of the realm have been sent out to find the urn of andraste's ashes in order to uh help him recover and and you know take control back over uh so we do meet a a knight who is in search of that we also meet some other knights here that kind of just give us more backstory uh some more templars uh but besides that it's it's honestly pretty low impact in Lothering we also meet uh, Bodum and Sandal who are the two dwarves who end up being our kind of traveling band of our, our, our shop and our blacksmith uh, Bodum uh, is basically just you know he's, he's the shop he does all the smithing and stuff for us but Sandal is an MVP mm. great I love this character great character <laughs> uh, he does enchantment mm. and man he gets jazzed about enchantment. I love how jazzed he, he gets about real enchantment. On that shit. He loves enchantment, and he, I love him for loving enchantment. He is vibing Sandal, on that enchantment. He is. Sandal, love this character. Vibe check, enchantment. I actually, I do like this character uh, for a lot of like complicated reasons, but um, that that will that we can get into, or or maybe not. I don't know if I've decided if I want to talk about it, but. Mm. Um, I just think it's an interesting portrayal of a character because he is very like single-minded um he loves enchantment uh and i i think he's just in i don't know he's interesting they're mainstays i mean they're like they are characters that well granted inquisition didn't bring them around which is a shame like one of the great missed opportunities of that game to like make not make them like the like i guess like the consistent touchstone of all these games but Mm -hmm. you know you know, these two dwarves you meet at Lothering are actually going to be around for a while. I've always I've always liked the idea of the characters that follow you through everything. Um, over the over the holiday break, I played Vampire the Masquerade Bloodlines again, and the taxi cab driver also plays that, where you kind of don't notice it at first, but, you know, as you take a taxi between different hub areas in that city, uh, he becomes sort of a constant that you can always rely on. And then when everything goes to shit at the very end of that game, he becomes like the character you confide in and kind of decide which faction you're going to side with at the end of all things. Uh, and it's played to really good effect in that game. Uh, and so I, I tend to, because of how much I like that game and how much it did that, I tend to like these characters that are those, you don't always notice them. They're not always in the foreground, but they are kind of hanging out. They're always there. Um, it's it's I, I don't want to say it's like the Joker of of dragon age it's not to that level but like just the characters they're always kind of along for the ride you know um and we do have one last thing we should touch on uh, i will say quick since i imagine you are playing with some version of the ultimate edition um or or have some level of the dlc because we will be doing that at some point uh you can theoretically go do the awakening dlc at this point you can talk to somebody in your camp that will like theoretically take you there i almost ended up doing it by accident uh (laughs) 
before I was like, oh, wait, this sounds like a DLC mission. I should back out of this. Uh, and Okay. Well, finish your line of thought, but I just realized... No, no, no. I was going to go on to our last bullet points. So if you guys oh, I was going to say, like, I don't think I've ever had this person that is, like, at the camp to do that, because I have uh, Awakening on disc, so... Oh. I always have to, like, switch out the games if I want to play Awakening. Yeah, for me, it's like, I have to go talk to an NPC who's, like, one of the characters, I assume, in Awakening. I've not played Awakening, but... Um, they're like, oh, hey, there's this thing going on, and Duncan promised to help me out, so, you know, come help me out. And I can be like, oh, I'll think about it, or, oh, let's go right now. And I was like, oh, I should probably pick the the, the not-committal one. Hmm. Uh, former... <laughs> Former girlfriends of mine would never guess I would do that. <laughs> um, and then one in one last moment, we uh, we have a nightmare about the Archdemon speaking to the Darkspawn. Uh, just kind of roaring at them and getting them all riled up and rowdy and stuff, ready to go sack some Ferelden. Uh, and you, you wake up and Alistair's kind of watching you. He's like, so you had the dream, huh? seeing that dragon in your dreams huh uh and that's maybe like this is maybe also like the first hint that we get of what gray wardens deal with all the time and like kind of what alistair has been dealing with for some time because i mean it's established that he is while he's the most junior member besides you he has been a gray warden for some time Mm -hmm. and so he's aware of this stuff and he's it it's kind of an interesting dynamic between the two of you because it's like he knows just enough more to kind of be a mentor to you but he's also still trying to wrap his head around all of it and this is where i was definitely like okay alistair like i'm I'm interested in this dynamic this is going to go interesting places because he's very much like it's you know those dreams are all we are he's talking about how older gray wardens used to brag that they could you know figure out they could suss out what the archdemon was was saying and and he's like well i guess that's what we have to look forward to other than a short lifespan and dying at the hands of darkspawn (laughs) and it's i mean it's a good reminder that you are like playing this this character that is inherently tragic like you get the sense early on that no matter how things go it is not going to end well for you and it's going to end poorly for you sooner rather than later uh and while i don't think it nails it as well as like a mass effect 2 does or, or a mass effect 3 does you do get this sense of like impending doom right. that that is like slowly encroaching on the story and the more that we have of that the the more i get drawn into the story because i feel like up to this point it's just kind of been extremely standard fantasy fair mm. and having that sense of impending doom and then also seeing the characters like react to it in a very human way is is what's drawing me back into the story so that's that's kind of where i left off with playing this uh where are you at ken i think on that note specifically i and this is just this does come because this is a a retrospective show so like we do know where these things lead i feel Mm -hmm. like that might be something that can draw you in when you're first playing but i feel like knowing full well that that doesn't have to happen at least not in this game like kind of removes my investment from that at least on that front mm-hmm. specifically um because i mean i think there is like you know something to be said about like the various things that the wardens go through like they talk about like the calling like the, and that some people 
like when they know that they're nearing death, they'll like go down in the deep roads to basically just to die, like to fight Darkspawn until they're killed. And like, you know, things like that. I feel like even honestly looking forward in the series, I don't feel like the really the tragedy of the Grey Warden is ever really seen. It's mostly spoken about. Mm. Um I feel like we've already had that though. I feel like we've had we've seen multiple Grey Wardens die already, not just at the hands of Darkspawn, but in the joining, and we get a sense that this is like this is sacrifice that they're doing and that it's right, but I'm and talking, also that it's not always a willing sacrifice either. Right. And, but and as we get more, further into this game, once we learn like more about the blight and the way that the archdemon works and stuff like that, you do get a sense of like these are people who are going to have to do the ultimate sacrifice at some point or another. Right, but I'm, I'm talking more on like sort of like these long quote unquote long lives that the wardens will like you know sort of the ultimate inevitable sacrifice that they have to take and mm-hmm. like you know that's not including like an archdemon or you know the the you know dying and the joining I'm talking more about like the idea of like a warden that we like see kind of like late into his life like kind of dealing with like the final effects of the taint at least we mm-hmm. don't see that in origins now that like i'm thinking about we it, don't there, see that in origins there is no, somebody we that we'll see... meet up later yeah maybe who, in a different life becomes a who becomes a very interesting character in their own right, even when I did not expect they would. Uh, I think you and I are thinking of two different people, but... Oh. Are we thinking of an Inquisition character? I'm thinking of a Dragon Age 2 character. Oh, I'm thinking of an Inquisition character. Okay. okay. We'll have to confer after the podcast this All time. Right. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know if I agree with that, um, but but we, we will see more of it. Uh, overall, I my feeling is always that even if I know the end i think i can still like enjoy the feeling of tragedy that hangs over it uh yeah i know like that that was the same thing i encountered with mass effect was like i know that i can play this perfectly and it will all be okay but that's still like when i play the suicide mission i still feel that little like twist in my gut of did i do everything right did i did i check all the boxes i i can know that i did i you know i can be as prepared as i can be i can check that box a million times but i'm still gonna feel it in the moment and and that's that's to the credit of the creators of mass effect 2 who were who were able to do that who were able to craft something that even if you know that your outcome is going to be perfect you still get that little gut twist like maybe i didn't do it right maybe maybe i'm not the commander i think i am um and, and I think Origins, again, like I've said it multiple times this podcast, it does not ever get to those heights, but it aspires to them. And that's what I like about mm-hmm. Dragon Age Origins specifically, is that it feels like a game that's more ambitious than what it ends up being. Uh, and uh, those ambitions are maybe more fully realized later on. Uh, our next episode, so we already did our shoutouts. To our lovely patrons, thank you again so much for tuning in. Uh, our next episode will be on January 29th, and we will have the wonderful Josh Silverman of Constantly Calibrating back on. He's not here to talk about Garrus, though. He's here to talk about the Circle of Magi. Uh, we thought we would bring him on because, if anything, we could use a little bit of levity to get through the frickin' maze in the Circle of Magi, <laughs> because God knows I'm going to need it. Uh, mm. <laughs> and 
yeah, we're I'm excited for that. We had him on the panel for the Mass Effect thing at PAX South, mm-hmm. and I believe he said he's going to another event very soon within a month. So um, it'll be we we ourselves the us podcast people will be able to see him but if you want to hear josh's wonderful takes you can go back and listen to his old episodes or you can go listen to the recording of the panel that we did and hear his hot takes because he did have several hot takes that i appreciated very much a lot of hot takes like, on that panel. yeah i mean look that was that's the panel of hot takes it's what we it's what we deliver that's what i said on the pitch when i sent it in to pax i was like got hot takes hot takes about all the crew members uh that's gonna do it for us i I, i'm looking forward to playing some more origins uh if only because it means we'll be one step closer to dragon age 2 so for ken i'm eric thank you for tuning in we'll see you next week on normandy